This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursdays of each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. We create quality media products like this podcast and we help you market them. One product we make is high quality ebooks, which are great for generating leads. Check out some examples of ebooks we've produced and hire us to edit, design, and format your company's next ebook. Go to HarringtonInteractive.com. In this episode, Terry King shares a talk called Meeting God on Death Row. It's one from the archives, recorded on November 15th, 2018. Good morning, brothers. Welcome uh, once again to our New Canaan Society Breakfast with the Brothers. Uh, it is a joy always to be with you. Uh, it is amazing to me um, the, the desire that men have for friendship and sometimes the difficulty that it is in, in actually finding friends, and we hope that this environment is conducive to that. Um, welcome to the, to the uh, brothers who are here for the first time. A couple of uh, announcements before we get going this morning, and we're going to start a little early. Uh, Paul Good, who has spoken for us and is a singer and was a uh, former New Jersey guy, uh, has started uh, a radio... Uh, I don't know what happened to that. You have some cards on it. It's a, is it a podcast, Paul? A radio show? Anyway, this is... There we go. Okay, so there's a, there's a sign-up sheet uh, for this, this uh, rooster radio thing that he's doing. It's a radio show for guys. Right, Paul? Radio station, radio station for guys. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it right here if you want to sign up and give him your email address, and he'll send you more information about it. Um, a couple of other things. We have a sign-up sheet for those of you who would like to get our twice-monthly announcements about the breakfast. We have some... Fabulous things coming up. I want to encourage you to leave a tip. I always forget about our servers, and I apologize to them for it, but it's coming Christmas time, and we want to help take care of them. So tip them like you would like to get tipped. If you're J.C. Penny, it's a nickel or a dime, or a nickel. If it's, if it's Rockefeller, it's a dime. If it's you, I got faith in you. Anyway, so uh, that's our sign-up sheet. That's our uh, request to take care of our servers this morning. Welcome to the sheriff's deputy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome. You she's don't have coming to for, for these criminals. We're right here. <laughs> she's coming for one of you. Yeah, she's coming for all of us. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, one of the one of the other announcements that I want to uh, mention to you this morning, we have been talking for a couple of times together about what we're going to do in three weeks on December 6th when uh, Becca Stevens is here from Thistle Farms, and she's bringing with her Doris Walker, who's been here every time with her. Uh, Doris, just for those of you who, who are not familiar with her story, we are uh, together as a group raising money to pay for her wedding. She's 61 years old. Uh, why would we pay for a 61-year-old woman's wedding? Because there were many times when the father in her life was absent. She, he was shot. 
in front of her when she was 12 or 14 years old in her home. All of that led to a life of abuse. Um, they were a share a cropper family north of town here. Uh, led to a life of abuse in 23 years as a prostitute on the streets of Nashville. And there were many men in her life who could have been and who should have been fathers and brothers to her and were not. We have an opportunity to do that. Uh, there's a long story behind this. We have, we're trying to raise $5,000. Uh, her fiance is a, a friend from childhood um, who, um, whose wife died about 10 years ago. He has proposed to her. I said, well, when are you going to get married and why are you waiting? Oh, we're not getting married till next spring. Why are you waiting? Well, I want a church wedding this time. And I just thought what an incredible thing it would be if the fathers and brothers in this room would, would help us pay for that wedding. So we have so far raised, what, almost 3500 Close to that. We need about another $1,500, $1,600. If you got a 20 you got a 100 you got whatever you got, and the Lord puts it on your heart, please help us. Wow. Uh, we have an incredible moment in our life together. We're going to start a little early. I have sitting with me here, Al Andrews. Al, welcome. Thank you. Uh, many of you know this brother. He has spoken here for us a couple of times, and uh, we're going to sit down and have a conversation and start behind us here is Dan Mann. Uh, he's responsible for part of this, and I'll, I'll tell you part of that as we get going. We have an incredible opportunity this morning to speak to a dear brother. Um, the three of us on this stage, at least, would lay down our life for this guy. And he's going to lay down his own life for a crime that he committed. He's on death row at Riverbend. Al, do you want to pick up and kind of introduce what we're, what's going to happen here? I guess at 730, uh, Terry King is going to be able to call in from death row, and we're going to have about a 30-minute conversation with him. But Al, give us, give us some backdrop to this and, and how this got going. Well, about uh, five months ago, I was sitting in church uh, next to a friend of mine who just started coming a few weeks before. And um, I hadn't seen him in about 15 years, and he was sitting beside me. And as the service started, he picked up his cell phone and started going like this toward the front of the church, which I thought was a little odd. And so I, I whispered to him, what are you doing? And he said, uh, my buddy Terry, um, who's on death row, wanted to come to church today. And so he called in, and so he's going to be listening for the next half hour before it shuts off. And I just thought, okay. And then the little music team, I didn't know that the, that the uh, service was on loneliness that day, and the, the scriptures that they were going to study was on loneliness. And this little music team started singing, of all things, Eleanor Rigby. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? And I'm thinking of this guy on the phone in death row and that song, and I just lost it. I just lost it. I began just weeping, going, what in the world is this? And after the service, David, I said, tell me more. And he said, well... I was in a men's group, probably something like this, and somebody came in and, uh, who's in charge, self-appointed, I believe, of finding men that will go visit men on a regular basis on death row. And David had been visiting Terry for four years every Monday night for three hours. 
He's become his best friend. He's the uncle to his daughters. And they go visit him on their own. Uh, when he was 21 years old, uh, on drugs and other things, and coming from a pretty rough background, he killed somebody. And 34 years later, a lot has changed. He's come to faith. He's um, it really going. Uh, when when David asked me to go, if he said, "Would you like to go to death row with me?" and I kind of went, "Well, I, I'll I'll think about it." <laughs> you know, you know, it's I have images of what it's like there. But I went and I walked in the door and. Uh, there's a, a, a small room about a quarter the size of this, or maybe even smaller. Looks like a little bus station. And um, the group of men who have the rights and the privileges to come out, come out. And they hug, and they're old friends. And Terry hugged David, and he came over to me and said, I'm a hugger, and he hugged me. And then we just sat down and talked. And something changed in me that day, because I don't know about you, but when I think about death row, I think of Manson, Dahmer, Timothy McVeigh, and you, you can go down the list. But what I don't think about is there's a group of guys on death row, and I've met them, some of them, who had one horrific, awful day. And we've all had those. Probably during that day, we didn't kill somebody. But if we believe Jesus, who says, if you hate, you do, then we have. But these are guys who had one horrific day and did horrible things. And now they're there together. And uh, there's this unusual little community there. And uh, we'll be talking. Terry's going to call in. And we'll be talking with him and letting you ask questions as well. But that's the Terry that I know. One of the um, things that happens in our, in our bubble life that we have here in, um, well, wherever we live in affluent America, and this was true for me, um, you know, you care about the people around you. You become a caring person over time. Um, sorrows, you know, modify, mold your own heart. Um, and I, one day, you know, I have, a, I have a couple of friends who have prison ministries, and I would, every time we had conversation, I had conversations with them, I would say, invite me to go. I'll go. Oh, we should, we should have you come and, and, uh, and teach the class someday. We should have you come. Nobody ever invited me. And so I started praying about it. And I said, Lord, you say we're supposed to visit the sick, feed the hungry, uh, you know, clothe the naked, and visit those in prison. I said, I've been volunteering, and, and I can't seem to get invited. Uh, if this is important to you, I'm available. And then this guy sitting back here, Dan Mann, who has been visiting uh, the brothers down there, a dear friend of his, Larry, he said, I want you to come with me to death row. I go, I'll go. And, and we're going to go visit Larry. Tell us a little bit about Larry. we got a few minutes before. Uh, yeah, so this is Dan Mann. Hi, I've been visiting uh, Death Row for about nine years now, and it was as an act of faith, like Wes. I looked at Scripture, and I said, what are those things that I really believe? Well, I really believe Jesus. There's a lot that I don't understand, but I really believe Jesus. So why aren't I doing the things that Jesus says really are important to him? 
And the one thing, I give my money to the poor. Man, I carry very little cash. I was worried about coming down here because anybody on the street corner that asks, I believe I'm to give it to them, and I do. And who's even worse about that is my wife. So I don't have cash. But on the other hand, uh, I never visited prisoners. Never, never did it. So when, when uh, Joe Engel, I met uh, a neighbor who happened to be a chaplain down there, invited me uh, to go down there, and he said, this guy's rather difficult. He's not had a visitor in 15 years, and he's not really nice. He says, don't know if this is going to be a fit, but why don't you start writing him? So I started writing him. First visit was uh, 2011 on St. Patrick's, no, on, on uh, I'm sorry, St. Valentine's Day with my wife. That was my date. My wife and I both uh, started visiting Larry on death row. What we have become, what, what Terry is to David's kids, Larry is to mine. Uh, he calls Bethany, and it's always while she's preparing dinner for some reason. And she puts it on speaker. The kids will walk in and say, hey, Mom, I'm having trouble with this. She'll talk to him while Larry's on the phone. He'll go, hey, Rosie, uh, how's your math grade? What do you need? Mom will get you a tutor. Are you okay? And all of this. Two years ago, and, and there's a community, like uh, Al says, w when we walk into that room, I, I get hugged by Terry, I get hugged by Abu, I get hugged by Larry. There's this uh, amazing camaraderie there. Um, the, and the one thing that I will say, I got sick two years ago and went through cancer. And uh, the worst part is going back onto death row after you've been gone for a little bit and they're worried about you. I mean, they're worried sick about you. The, the only card that I got, get well card, was from them. They all signed it. When, when I get there, they all want to know how I'm doing and what the doctor said. And are you taking your medicine? And are you eating right? And why have you put on weight? I mean, it's just, these are caring, caring, caring men about all aspects of my life. So uh, um, this about Larry. Larry is my family. He is my brother. He is um, uh, truly one of my closest, dearest friends. Uh, and um, as are all of the men that are in that pod that we see. It is, it is the closest community that I've ever been a part of. And let me end with this. Um, I don't call what I do a ministry. Uh, and I don't because I literally take the words of Jesus literally where it says, go and visit, so we visit. And we talk about everything, our entire lives, and they live vicariously through us in that regard. We talk about our faith because it's part of who we are. But that's it. It is not something that I reach out. Jesus says of the poor, the poor will always be with you. So when you give to the poor, you're not going to ever solve the issue of poverty. By going to death row or going to prisons and visiting prisoners, I'm never going to solve the problem of incarceration. The biggest transformation in that relationship over the last eight or nine years that I've been going has not been Larry. He's still there. It's been in me. And it's been in my understanding of who Christ is and who Christ cares about and who I, I go see Jesus literally on Monday nights. And it's transformative. So that's Larry. Uh, thank you, Dan. One of, the, <clears throat> one of the things that I have always heard, oh, that's just a jailhouse conversion. You there? Some of you guys? That's the jailhouse conversion. Yeah, and you sort of write it off as though it's not real. 
I was surprised to find the kind of genuine faith in Terry King and these other guys that sit around this table. We're going to talk about that table when Terry gets on the phone. That had the kind of genuine faith that I first found in my mom. That kind of faith, that kind of depth. And it was, it was a blessing to me. I thought I was going to go minister to people. I went to visit, and they blessed me, and they blessed me. I don't, I don't get to go a lot. I still don't have a regular pass, but I go when I'm invited. Al? Yeah, um, so in about two minutes, uh, none of us involved in this know anything about technology. Um, so here's how it's going to work. We hope. Uh, Terry uh, can call only a few people. One of them is not me. He can call David. So if, if things work as they should, which, you know, about 20% of the time they do, I'll put it on speaker and we'll have a conversation. And David just texted, so if this technology doesn't work, are you ready to run with it? Well, here we go. Hello. Hello. That's not hello. Well, hello, Terry. Well, you're there, guys. It worked. Okay, so Terry, um, I'm going to put you on speaker. All right. Give me a hello. Hello, Al. Is, is this Terry, is this really the real, the Terry King? Terry, this is Wes Yoder. Good morning. Good, good morning, brother. Welcome to Puckett's in downtown Franklin. I understand that you've been lecturing around the country from uh, unit, unit two. You, you led a book club. You spoke to uh, professors and students at Rhodes. Uh, this, is, this is highbrow stuff, brother. Now you're with uh, these, uh, these guys, these ne'er-do-well brothers from Puckett's and Breakfast with the Brothers. Welcome. All right. Terry, we got to keep talking for a minute. Just, just go testing one, two, three, because we're not able to hear you. So, okay, I'm sorry. What about now? Can you hear that, guys? Yeah, that's good. Oh, good. I'm, a, I'm sorry. I'm a little away from the phone. I apologize. No, no. Actually, we're. Uh, it's it's kind of us. Don't worry. <laughs> well, Terry, it's it's. Uh, let me just describe where you are. We're gonna uh, we're gonna pretend like you're sitting at a little table with us with a cup of coffee. And uh, Wes and I are sitting here, and Dan's right behind us. And oh, in, wow. in front of us are about 150 guys uh, who've just had breakfast. And uh, we've just talked a little about meeting you, and we've said all good things, by the way. And um, we just wanted you to join us this morning up here on stage and uh, get to know some brothers and let them get to know you. I'm looking forward to that. Can you guys hear that a little bit? Okay. Okay. Good. Okay, Terry. So, so Wes here again. I think I, you, you, I think you recognize the voices. So I'm not going to keep saying Wes or Al or whatever. We, you got no, us. I can recognize your voice. Al. Yeah, you can hear me too, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> okay. So, one of the things that I joke with the guys around here, and I put this in a le my last letter to you, uh, was that a lot of guys uh, don't have friends and don't know how to make friends, and you responded to that in that letter you wrote to me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a little paragraph, and then we're gonna talk about this for a bit. You mentioned, this is Terry's letter, you mentioned so many men you have met don't have friends and don't know how to make them. 
if they are open to coming here to Riverbend even one at a time with David, we will show them how it works and hopefully may make a difference in their life. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I want you to tell us about the friendships that maybe were surprising to you. I mean, you get stuck in a place where you don't get to pick who you're with. Uh, it's sort of like life. It's sort of like like it was in high school, and it's sort of like if you go to work for a company, you don't get to pick who else works there. And here you are in your life. How, how did you guys discover that there could be friendship uh, among you guys who all have this, this common sorrow? How, how, did, how did the friendship get going down there, brother? Well, we're all, we're all the same. No matter what skin color we are, we're all brothers. And we're all part of one big family called the family of God. And if you can't look at another person and see the similarities between you and him, you know, you're just blind. I mean, it doesn't, color doesn't matter. You know, when you and Paul and uh, Joe came out and we all sat at the reconciliation table, as we call it, you know, there were African Americans, Caucasians, everyone, and we all uh, we all got along just fine. And we don't we don't see color here. We're, you know, we're, we see as, we see each other as being equal to one another. No one better than the other. And you know, when you're put in a situation like this, you you're forced to to look and see. And you, you begin to see deeper than just the skin color. You see the, the human being that's looking back at you. And it's easy to, to, to get to know that person. It's easy to love that person. It's easy to care about that person. I hope I'm explaining it like I want to, but I'm trying my best here. You're doing good, brother. Yeah, uh, Terry, Terry, Al again. Um, one of the, when the first time I met you, you told me a story about reading a book called The Shack and um, said that book changed your life. I'd like, I'd like for you to tell our friends um, just about that moment and about uh, what you learned and how it changed you. Well, that's easy. It, I was probably in 2011, January 2011 to be exact, and... Um, in particular, chapter 11, there's a particular chapter called Here Comes the Judge. And in that book, uh, I, uh, Matt goes up into a cave and he meets Sophia, which represents the wisdom of God. And it's that moment in the book that where uh, Sophia challenges Matt to sit in, in the wisdom of the seat of God and judge his own children. He couldn't do that, but we're so quick to judge others. And it's that point in the book that just really changed my life when I realized for the first time, sadly, for the first time in my life that what I had been doing to others, and even people right here with me, that I used to look at these other men here, some of them, who had similar charges to what happened to Max's daughter in the book of the shack, and, and I thought I was better than them because I hadn't done that. And how warped is that thinking? And just to the point it just crushed me to when I realized that what I had been doing to other people and bigger than that is the knowledge and knowing that the taking of one of God's children's life and that that realization has just just crippled me in that we're all created in God's image we're all children of God and 
to realize that you've taken the life of one of God's children is it's bigger it's bigger and, and stronger than taking the life of a human being I can't ex- I hope I'm explaining it like I'm wanting to but that's what that book did for me it just it just turned my world upside down and, and, and just realizing that just how, how big of a fraud I had been all my life and how sad that was that I couldn't see other people for who they were and that's what that book did for me. Terry, um, Ed Zagorski, Diamond Jim, um, your friend there, lost his life in prison on November 1st. And he was, I think, I think if I have this right, it was, um, it was Ed uh, that you were looking down your nose at until um, God got a hold of this part of your heart through the shack and where you realized you were judging, uh, judging your brother. Um, tell us about the later uh, years and the later experiences with Ed um, and what that friendship meant to you after you quit criticizing and judging him. Well, actually, that, that, actually, that was Billy Irick. Oh, Billy, okay. And, oh, okay, um, Billy, okay. So and, that was... uh, and, well, I mean, I, I, what happened as a result of the shack is I looked at these guys that I once thought I was better than, Billy and a couple other guys here, and I can honestly tell you, and I'm not ashamed to tell you, I love him. I loved him then, and I loved him up to the point I still care about him, even though he's gone. And um, I tried to see getting people to come visit this guy uh, and several of the other guys here, because everyone needs someone in their life, and uh, and I, I'm not ashamed to say that I loved him. And there was a time when I didn't, when a time when I thought I was better than him but but just over time I began to see he's just a human being who's flawed we're all flawed you know I think we're all flawed since Adam and uh, uh, but I, I just I see he was a human being who had made a mistake who who had for a, a bad set of circumstances in his past terrific abuse as a child he suffered and but I'm no better than him, but I used to think that I was. But I, you know what I think? I thank God that I no longer see another human being and think that I'm better than them because I don't have the same story they had. Everybody has a story, and and I just thank God that I'm, I no longer look at people like that, and, and I thank God for the change in my life. Yeah, Terry, um, the other night we were talking on the phone, and you said something about uh, being a blessed man. Uh, oh, absolutely. T- tell me a little more about that, because that's not the first thing I think most people think about men who are on death row. What's that mean to you? Well, look, look how blessed I am. I'm, I'm right now. I'm down at Puckett's having, having. Well, I'm, I'm having a cup of coffee here. Well, y'all have a cup, cup, cup of coffee. Excuse me, a cup of coffee there. And how can I not be blessed? Now I'm talking to you. I'm talking to Wes. I'm, Dan's there. My my best friend in the world, David's uh, joining us by phone as well. And how can I not be blessed? And, and I'm now I'm meeting your friends down there. I don't see them, but I know they're present. Uh, I know they hear my voice. How can I not be blessed? And Monday night I'm going to get to see you again. Yes, now. sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> how blessed is that? <laughs> you know, uh, Terry, one of the things that we talk about here at Puckett's a lot is one of the greatest blessings of our life 
uh, once you do have friends is is to share those friends with you know friends sharing friends and so uh, the great joy of this to me this morning is getting to share you with these brothers and to share them with you um, this little core of people who already know you in person have been praying for you nonstop. I guarantee you that. I know I have, and I know these other brothers have. And you're going to have about another hundred guys here who are going to be part of your prayer team, going to be lifting Terry up on a regular basis, not just Terry, but the other guys that sit around the reconciliation table. And one of the big surprises to me when I came into Unit 2 was the reconciliation table. I want you to talk about that because this is one of the most profound things I've ever heard of in my life. Tell us, tell us what happens around that table. Tell us what it means. Tell us how it became a reconciliation table in the first place. Okay. Um, first of all, what it means is, you know, if we have any issues amongst one another, we go to that table and we discuss it. It stays at that table. It never leaves that table. And it was created uh, years ago when, you know, it just we realized we needed a safe place to go. Uh, we've kind of figured that out, that that's a safe place to go that represents bringing problems there, issues there. We, we, break, we broke bread together there. We pray together there. A lot of the classes that, uh, that come here that are at that table, whether it's the art class from Watkins, whether it's the uh, trauma and compassion class from Vanderbilt that I attend that meets at that table. And so that table that table represents a lot of things to a lot of different people, but only speaking for myself, and I think fairly speaking for others, it's just a safe place to go and to uh, know that we can pray together and we can share things together, uh, laugh together, cry together, and it's safe there, it stays there. And uh, so I, I hope I explained that well. I love that you have... Um with the other brothers, not by yourself, but with the other brothers, created what now has become for you a safe place in prison. That's that's so beautiful. Well, it is that. That's for sure, uh, Wes. And uh, let me just say, it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to you guys this morning. And I, I wish I could see uh, everyone there. I, you know, I try to make up what people must be, how they must be arranged in the in the setting area or whatever. But you know, it really doesn't matter. Uh, just just thank you for people listening to my voice. You know, one thing that I've learned in life is everyone wants to be heard and everyone wants to be to be cared for and to love. And and, and I just want you to know that I feel the love this morning. And it's an awesome, awesome feeling, and to know that 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 you, Wes, Al, Dan, and and these other fine folks have taken and given me a few minutes, minutes of your time this morning just means so much to me. And it means a lot of things to a lot of other people here. I've shared with a few of my friends here about speaking to you all this morning. And everyone was so excited and, you know, and offered certain things I should say or whatever. But, you know, I just, at the end of the day, I can just be myself. And, and I hope that there's something that, that, I just let me invite anyone there that would like to come here at any point. You know, it can be arranged. You're more than welcome to come here, and I would love to meet you. And a lot of the guys here would love to meet you all, and uh, the door is always open. Well, not literally, but... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, Terry, I'm sure if the door... I'm sure if the door was open, you'd be eating breakfast with us. 
And you would be at my house for dinner tonight, brother, and that's the promise if you ever get out of that joint. a little bit about the setting. We got uh, strings of lights through this room. It's uh, an old grocery store that was uh, before that uh, some kind of a auto supply store, if I have I have that right. Uh, and it's it's just a, a, a place that's really conducive for men. It's got all the uh, uh, HVAC shown painted black on the ceiling. It's got a, a guitar case on the wall and about oh, a couple guitars, a big pocket sign. Uh, Al's, oh, wow. Al's going to take some pictures and so is Danny. Uh, we'll bring you some pictures the next time so you'll have this picture in your head. We want you to see us as much as we want to see you. That would be awesome. If y'all would send that to David, he's, he's got this ability to, there's a touch note app on his phone that he can like take pictures and they'll like send it to the prison or whatever. And so that would be awesome. That would be awesome. All right. It's on its way. Danny, Danny's taking care of that for us. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that starts to happen uh, when your heart starts getting changed toward things that you thought you knew about, uh, thought you were aware of, and then find out you're not really aware of it all. One of the things that has happened for me is, um, you know, first of all, the question, does mercy satisfy the claims of justice? And I believe God is so big that mercy indeed does satisfy the claims of justice. And I hope that... Um, through these kind of relationships, these kinds of friendships, uh, our hearts will be turned in, in fresh new ways toward uh, the kingdom of God that is inside that prison. And not only that prison, I hear stories from around the country of other prisons where there's a community of life. But I'd love for you to talk about, uh, I'm, I'm going to mention this reconciliation table maybe a couple more times here in the 10 minutes that we have left. But how do you... How did the brothers there, in the midst of, of the worst kind of sorrow of the world, uh, create a life-giving community that actually, surprising to me when I first saw it, has a lot of joy in it? Tell us about that dynamic, brother. Um, if I understand your co question correctly, it's just, um, I, I think, I think we, we, I've seen, let me just say, I've seen a lot of people change here. I know I've witnessed it with myself, but I've seen other men. You know, I've been locked up over 35 years, and uh, a lot of other people have been locked up several decades as well. And we just, we we become like a big family here. Um, and it's really a community in every sense of the word. And uh, uh, I just I just believe that the the, if I understand your question about Mercy is, is. You're good. Keep going. <laughs> but I just believe that that God's mercy and the mercy that, that should be extended to all folks and everyone, every walk of life is 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 universal. That it shouldn't be limited to one set of persons or whatever. And I just think that that God's ability to forgive and His power to forgive should extend to all and. The, as far as the reconciliation table, it's just it, it's just 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 a safe place where we can go. It's a safe place where we can can pray together and and, and allow things to stay at that table. If I understood your question correctly. Yeah. Yeah, Terry. Um, 
I want to go way back for a minute. You were 21 years old, and you were sent to death row. What was it? Uh, you you first walked into that that old prison, right? Correct. What what's the name of that place? Uh, they call it the walls, but it's really the Tennessee State Prison. I know. I don't know if you've all seen that. It looks like an old evil castle. Uh, what was it? What was it like to walk in there that first day? I was scared to death. Uh, I uh, I thought I was going to be surrounded by people like what I thought was on death row, people like Charles Manson, just people falling at the mouth. That's what I thought. I had it made. I, I made that up in my mind. And I was scared to death. And I remember walking in this flat, uh, flat top building, and just thinking, "I'm never coming out of here." And uh, I remember just being very emotional, calling my family, and and you know, being emotional, crying, and they were concerned about me, obviously. And I just said, "Look, don't I, things will work out. I have appeals. I don't know. I didn't know what that meant at the time, honestly. I." The lawyer said, well, don't worry, we got some appeals we can do. And I, I, honestly, I did not understand what that meant. I learned later on what it meant, but I was just, I was just scared. I, I don't, I saw no way out. Um, I just felt trapped. I felt lonely. And um, it was just the most horrible feeling in the world. Yeah. What, over time, I know that you moved from that place, which... We won't even describe right now, but not a great place to the place you are now. And you don't have a very big room, and you've been in there a long time. Um, how have you changed from a person of fear to a person of hope? Because you're still sort of in the same place. Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, and I tell everybody is the book, The Shack changed my life first and foremost it just turned my life upside down and is that i've been looking and searching but it's when i met and i read the book the shack that it just turned everything upside down but i began to look inside myself and what something i didn't say a moment ago i meant to say is when i read the shack not that i had an outer body experience i don't i do not mean that at all but i stepped outside of myself and looked at who i was and who all that I had done to be in prison and the person I had been about being judgmental and so on. And I hated what I saw. I literally hated what I saw. And I just want to tell everyone that I hate who I used to be, but I love who I am today. I mean, I love me today, but I don't love who I used to be. And I feel good in my own skin today. Though I may be trapped in this eight by ten cell or whatever it is where I'm speaking to you from this morning, but I am the most free person you will ever meet. I'm in peace with myself. I'm in peace with my God. And and I just pray for peace for everyone. I, I just I hope everyone can feel in their heart what I feel today. And it is such an honor and a privilege to speak to you guys this morning. Well, Terry, we've just... Wes, you know, we, I love you. Dan, I love you. And, and, and Al, I love you. And, I, you know, I just thank you for this opportunity. Well, Terry, uh, we've all just been to church, so that's <laughs> by hearing what you said. Um, it's the gospel that you just told us. Uh, Terry, I know you had uh, the chance to meet the author of The Shack, 
who came to visit you, Paul Young. What was that like? Yes, he's been here several times. I don't know exactly how that happened. I know my friend David David Bass was involved in that. And I, he, he doesn't take any credit for it, but he did. And it was so important to meet him. I never thought I would, but what an honor and what a privilege. And just to, to, to meet the guy that wrote the book that just flipped my life upside down. It was such a such a surreal moment. And the one thing that I learned from, from Paul, both uh, – in person, he's been here several times, but learning to live in the grace of one day. All we have is today. We don't have tomorrow the next week. We don't even know if tomorrow will ever get here. You know, we pray that it does. We hope that it does, but it may not. But just learning to live in the grace of one day and just a beautiful, beautiful human being. I just thank God for him because uh, I don't think of I mean, I don't know if I would be where I'm at in life right now had, had I not read The Shack and how it really transformed my life and changed my life and opened my life up and allowed me to seek a, a something bigger and more powerful than myself, and that is the God who forgives, the God who heals, the God that that is non-judgmental, the God that is always with his arms open up. And another thing that he taught me, Paul taught me, is, you know, I grew up believing, I grew up Southern Baptist, I grew up believing if we do something bad, God turns his back on us. God never turns his back on us. God is always there with his arms out, ready to embrace. He wants us to turn to him. He never turns from us. And that's something else that Paul taught me. And I believe that to this day. And I'll, I'll take it to my grave. And I just, but anyway, I, I can go on and on and on about that. Terry, Terry, what you're doing in prison with the other brothers and what we're doing out here is the same thing. We're trying to get men who have locked themselves in their own prisons by a lack of forgiveness or by bitterness or by the dark secrets that they hide. We're trying to get men free. And what this gathering here at Puckett's about is the same thing uh, that's going on at that reconciliation table. We just happen to have about 40 tables in this room. So we got 40 little reconciliation tables, but we're gonna we're gonna we're probably gonna call uh, call these tables reconciliation tables. One thing I don't want to have happen before your phone gets cut off there, and I think we just have a few more minutes. Um, Al, I don't know if this was something that you told me or who told me this, but uh, one of your guys down there was asked one day, "What would you like uh, to say to our governor?" And the answer was. I would like to invite the governor to our Friday morning prayer group. Absolutely. I, we would love to have the power to make that happen. I don't know if anybody in this room uh, you know, can make that happen, but we would love the governor to come down to join your Friday morning prayer group. We'll work on that, Terry. We'll work on that, Terry. We've got a new guy, and we'll see what he does. <laughs> I think some okay. of us know him. We might bring him. Yeah, the new guy, the new guy <laughs> coming on has, uh, has told his story here at Buckets and uh, may, may do so again. So yeah. anyway, we're going to invite him to the Friday morning prayer group down at, uh, at Unit 2, brother. Tell him to come on. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to arrange a meal. We'll break bread together after we pray together. How's that? Yeah. Uh, one, one more quick thing. Um, you know, there are, there are guys in, at that reconciliation table who are uh, guilty of the crimes they committed, and there's a couple of guys that are sitting around that table that uh, there's some, some great doubt about whether they're there uh, appropriately, uh, one of whom is Abu um, Ali. Um, he, he, um, there was no DNA evidence that was introduced in his trial. There's all kinds of things. I can tell these guys the story later. 
But I'll never forget the day we sat around that reconciliation table. I'm going to hold this as precious as that, that wedding feast of the Lamb that we're all going to because this is the same caliber of thing. We're sitting there with 12 of your brothers. We're sitting there with Joe and Paul and a bunch of other guys. And at the very end, we have a prayer together. And then we close with Abu Ali, who was a lifelong Muslim but was baptized as a Christian in prison this January, singing Amazing Grace like I have never, ever in my life heard it before. You know something? Every time I hear him sing that, it just, gives, it just, it just moves me to no end. I always tell him at the end, you did an awesome job. And, and I always joke with him, telling him, you should, you should record that someday. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, but it's really that good. It's that moving. It, it always touches the very depths of my soul to hear him sing that. He's awesome. We, we actually have a recording of that, and if they cut you off, that's going to be the song we're going to play for the guys before they get out here this morning. Uh, oh, wow. One, one of, for a treat. Yeah, yeah, we got, we got a, a, a pirate. He's a, a, a pirate recording uh, agent here or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, we have, we have Abu Ali with us this morning, too. You can tell him. Yeah. Tell him when you see him we love him, and tell him that, uh, that uh, the life-giving soul that he has become is going to bless a bunch of guys this morning. Terry, one of the things one of the things that has meant so much to me is a statement you made, and this is as close as I can get to remembering the quote of how you said it. But you said, "I want to spend the rest of my life making a difference in the life of others." Oh, absolutely! What I mean, I just pray I get that opportunity, whether it's in prison, whether it's out there, wherever it's at. I just want to—I want to what remaining life I have here on this earth. I want to make a difference. You have one minute. Remaining. Well, you heard that one minute warning. I don't like that woman. I, I, I hope I did good. I, I, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm very nervous. And so, I, you know, I just, I just love you guys. Thank you so much, Wes, Dan, Al, and everyone within my, hearing my voice. God bless each of you. Brother, we are. Thank you so much for your time. We are proud of, of being able to call you our friend, brother. That's for you, brother. That's for you. We love you. Terry, I God think bless you. Bye-bye. that means we love, love you. you. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Bless bye-bye. you, brother. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Here you go. I'm putting you on mute. You sing away. Three, two.
brothers. Peace. Peace. Good to see you guys. Yeah. And if there's anybody that ever would like to go visit, contact Wes and we'll make it happen. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. If your company is looking to share valuable content with your customers or clients, put it into an ebook or a print book. Hire Harrington Interactive Media to edit and package that book, whether digital or print, so that it looks professional. Go to harringtoninteractive.com. Talk to you soon.